0: Hello and thanks for joining us today for another session of Retailistic. We are so honored to have Andrew Smith. He is the co-founder and CEO of Sproutly and also the co-founder and managing partner at Think Uncommon. And we are going to dive into all things metaversion, sustainability and much more and give a look out to next time as well. Andrew, how are you doing today?
1: I am brilliant. I'm excited to chat with you as always. What a way to end the week. I
0: know, seriously, Fridays are like the best. So, As you're looking back on this week and the conversations you had, what stands out in your mind?
1: Oh, my word. Um, (laughs) Big question. Uh, I've been ranting a lot about the metaverse. Um, That's certainly a big one. I've had some really brilliant conversations about sustainability with people who actually get it and in the detail of it, which is incredibly exciting because it's one of those topics, and I know we've spoken about this a lot, it's like one of those topics, especially in retail, where it feels almost a little bit rudderless, like we're all trying to work out what it is that we have to do. And then when you get someone in front of you who knows the detail, who's done it before and gets, you know, it just gets it in terms of execution of it, it was incredibly enlightening. So, they're probably my favourite conversations. My, you know, traditional Andrew rant, metaverse, and traditional Andrew insatiable curiosity, sustainability.
0: So, I, I'm going to ask a question that's probably similar in some ways on both, but let's start with sustainability. As you're talking to those who right, power it, whether those are technology companies or other solutions, and then those who are trying to kind of have a, a sustainable agenda, if you will, what are you finding are the, the biggest challenges and the topics that you're hearing the most?
1: So, I think um, for, I'll start with the retail side first. So, the people who kind of are looking at strategically what they need to shift um, the the big one is how do we take these big abstract audacious goals that we're setting for 2030 or 2050 or whatever and turn them into something that i can action like the, that is something that my my teams you know across multiple facets you know retail is a big you know, um, complex operation, how does everyone have a saying in it? And it doesn't kind of, you don't? how do you not end up with just like a poor chief sustainability officer sitting in the corner where they, you know, they're feeling incredibly lonely and kind of always feeling like they're interrupting or interjecting or making everyone else's job harder. So how do we turn it into something that is quite genuinely executable? And as you know, retail is one of the best executors on the planet. That's what we do every single day. We're brilliant at it. This is one topic where people have yet to kind of translate that abstract strategy down into execution. So, the big, you know, my favourite conversations are all, you know, how do we incorporate it into things like our objective key results or our KPIs? How do we actually um, do it properly in a way- there's this nervousness around greenwashing. So, how do we do it in a way that is genuine and transparent and clear and real as opposed to something that could get me in trouble? Um, it kind of feels a little bit like privacy did a while ago where we all thought it was it's really, really important, and I kind of overcorrect towards safety as opposed to necessarily you know learning of the best ideas that are out there. So it's been really, really interesting to have um, some of those conversations with retailers. But for me, you know the big conversation that has to be had is this tear down of these big, hairy, audacious goals into you know genuinely actionable things. You know pretty much everyone in a retail operation has something that they can do to improve sustainability. Um, whether it be environmental, whether it be social, whether it be diversity and inclusion, all of the parts of sustainability that most people don't think about. Um, you know, it's too often lumped with just green and eco. Um, there's so much more to it than that. Um, yeah. So how do we turn it into something that isn't just a marketing campaign? Essentially, is probably the big challenge. That, that's what I'd be asking if I was a board member of a retailer right now.
0: I mean, I'll tell you, as a board member of several retailers, my where, where I think that you know, I've been very impressed where where I'm, uh, you know, kind of associated is that, right, this idea that there is a sustainability agenda and it's very focused on profitability. And I've been in many conversations where everyone's like, well, you know, it's going to cost us. And I'm like, I, I, I think that the fact that you're saying it's going to cost us is like unsustainable. I'm like, I just, but I but <laughs> I, I had like, and I have to say this is why, I had several of those conversations this week with retailers. And I, I think that the you know, that to me is, and they're like, well, the, the materials are more expensive, this, that, and the other. And, I, and so I'm on the board of a company and, and we were having challenges, right, getting enough organic cotton. So we turned to recycled. So not only did the customer appreciate the recycled more, it cost us less. And, you know, I mean, on on a sustainability scale, right, you know, somebody else will, uh, the X will figure that out for us. But, I mean, those are some of the, the conversations, right, that I, I think are just so interesting right now, and i mean these are like this week conversations and i'm sure you're having those on the other side
1: uh, i mean 100% yes like they're the big thing like they're all assumption driven that's what's driving me nuts about it, is we assume that it's more expensive it's not It's absolutely not. The opportunity cost isn't really that real. Customers will still buy on price. It's like, we've got plenty of data that says that's not necessarily true either. There is a whole bunch of assumptions being made around it, especially at board and like senior level governance level, that if you're not asking the right questions, it's going, you know, you're you're in trouble because it's an area that is quite clearly um, an area of opportunity and risk, and it needs to exist on both of your registers. At the moment, it's kind of shuffled into risk slash marketing. It needs to be, you know, the opportunity is incredible. The market size is obviously growing considerably. Um, also, you know, the whole, it's too expensive thing, market forces, supply demand. We've all done that at uni. The more brands that keep pushing it, the cheaper it will become. So it's like, it's, you know, we can, we can shift that if we all, moved together. So, there's going to be some element of cooperation and stuff that we need to sit there and, and do it. But on the other side, there are so many brilliant companies out there, startups, whether it be, you know, exist- long-standing companies that have, you know, traditionally made cardboard boxes that have now pushed themselves to go, actually, we're all recycling now. Like, this is what we do for a living and we're a circular kind of business. I think there's some incredible um, shifts happening on the supplier side as well. Probably the most interesting for me, though is. um like is in the consulting side because you see you know what i think it was pwc that's just hired 1800 esg focused consulting roles like i mean that in and of itself is a sign of the opportunity right it's also a a proof point that we're confused and we haven't yet nailed down what it is that we need to be doing because if a consultant if a big consulting firm can sniff out opportunity like that we know that it's real Um, And we know that there's confusion. So, it's like, how do you do it in a way that you don't have to just fork out strategy dollars to get a nice PowerPoint? How do you actually just improve the way you're operating and the questions that you're asking and the metrics that you're chasing so that you can just get the stuff done, actually get the work done? It isn't an, um, you know, historically, it's always been this kind of altruistic thing, sustainability. It's one of those things that we do because it's aligned with our brand values. And that's always, that's important but it's no longer that it's a fiscal responsibility and if you're not looking into it whether it be opportunity potential opportunity cost or literal market share loss you know you're not doing a job as as a, as a governing board so it's like there is just it's no longer about altruism it's about this is the the context that we're living in context shifts behavior context and behavior shifts changes the market and you've got to be responsive to changing to the market. And, you know, as I said, like on the consulting side, there's so many, sorry, in the, uh, the supporter partner side, there's just some incredible brands popping up whether it be in you know recycle, recyclable uh, packaging, whether it be in diversity and inclusion training for boards, whether it be in um, support networks and peer groups for people who are in these style of roles, for uh, for women, for people in a minority, for minority owned businesses. There's all of these incredible things being stood up to support everyone on this journey. Um, so, it's just exciting. It will, all, it will all come together and we'll all work it out, I think, pretty soon because we don't know. And you said two things
0: to. that really resonated with me. One, right, We're seeing a lot of expense around consulting advisory, right? Kind of, you know, what do I do? How do I do it? But I ultimately think, right, if I put my like Wall Street analyst hat on, these companies are all trying to figure out how they tell the message around what they're doing from a sustainability standpoint. And then what's interesting on the other side where you talked about there's, right, there's a lot of new vendors and service providers and whatnot who are trying to help these companies. And one of the things that I've thought about, right, is if I know, right, company A is working with, you know, could be startup B or enterprise company B, does that ultimately mean that they're a sustainable company? Because how do you, right, I mean, you know, you can rank them from one to, you know, a thousand. You can have them, you know, kind of be measured by, you know, know, internally and externally. But ultimately, how do we, as investors know, And, and how do they know that by kind of working with this service provider? And then that kind of like leads me to, to the, the next kind of, you know, logical part of this conversation around, you know, is, is the first thing, like, what is the first thing that they need to do? Do they need to hire a chief sustainability officer? Do they need to hire, you know, a a consulting firm? Do they need to start kind of working with, with some of these companies? How much of a a budget should they allocate to this? And, And I feel like when you start to like on the surface, it just seems so easy. And then when you start to scratch the surface, it gets complex quickly,
1: very much so, and especially because, like, there are there are two two problems in that um, in that statement. There, the first problem is how do we do it? Like, how do we like take like what do we do next to ensure that we're taking the right actions that we are, you know, becoming. Properly sustainable, not just kind of greenwash sustainable. And then the second one is, of course, how do you then prove that? Because it, you know, it's there's only so much you can take the word of an internal company in a nice document versus like an ex, like an audited version. And like if we look at Europe as probably the leader here, like this is this level of reporting of quality and audit control of of sustainability practices and ESG reporting is becoming you know mandated. It's regulation, and so you know you 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 can't hide anymore the ability to hide behind really nice messaging and a great campaign is, is becoming very, very That's hard. A, it's a great point. In the U S in in the U S we don't quite yet have that regulatory push. Um, you know, it's not as strong here. Uh, you know, U S generally speaking as a market looks to market forces and nudges to, to change and shift behavior of companies, um, comparative to like, you know, a much more trigger happy regulatory environment like the EU. Um, whereas like my home market, Australia kind of somehow, some tries to sit somewhere in the middle, which usually speaking is not always the best way to go, but Hey, um, but I, I can't see a future where it's not a regulated thing here in the U S as well. So it's like getting yourself, getting yourself match fit is a smart strategy for now. But, the, you know, you, at the start of that, you said, like, you know, there's big consulting, you, know, there's, you could get a million. If you wanted to spend several million dollars on getting a big consultancy to come in and tell you what you're doing as a company, you could definitely do that. But you, 99% of the time, same as, you know, the day-to-day conversations I have around innovation, it's like your company already knows everything that it needs to do. whether And, you know, generally speaking, it's unlocking the process now, to I, get I it done. I think
0: that's valuable. I mean, it, you know, I, I've told people, right, when, when we were- previously in the office right so let's call it 2019 right they removed our printers and our trash cans so you know you you weren't printing and then there was nowhere to throw anything away so you completely thought differently about right kind of your your waste i ended up getting like little tiny trash cans for people's desks so they could put their apple core and their gum in there right because that it was like starting (laughs) to build up (laughs) i'm like it's not a great working environment but it, it is interesting sometimes in terms of just this kind of forcing mechanism, right? How, and, and I will tell you, that caused everybody to think differently. Those very simple approaches. Yeah. And right, ultimately, without printers and having to pay for paper and waste management, like the, the company itself saved a lot of money. So it, it is really interesting kind of how, you know, different organizations approach this topic differently.
1: Um, yeah, absolutely. It's it, like the example you share is really interesting. So like I... Uh, I look at behavior and systems. That's what I do for a living. So, like, I look at the way customers are interacting with a brand or the way the teams are interacting with a brand or whatever the case might be. And, you know, I look at that and, like, you've just just smacked them off course. Like, it's just a push. It's, like, very similar to the, uh, the no coats on the backs of chairs at, you know, BHP and places like that because it, it, you don't want people to be feeling comfortable. No post-it notes, all that kind of thing. It's just a forced push, which you know it works for a short period. It does it changes behavior out of necessity, as opposed to bringing people on the journey. Um, you can get some kind of good short term wins, but long term, you know, it's better to bring Absolutely. people along. Absolutely.
0: Well, I mean, and it's interesting. I remember, you know, kind of, you know, when you're in the UK and just how the retailers think about the right. They they all feel like they're behind. Right, mind you, they are, you know, even just how they're thinking and like you said, how they're structured, it it like mm-hmm. it, it, it actually it's almost like electricity, right? It's it's like running through them and yeah. everything they do, they think about right, they they kind of almost like weigh it, right? Like debits and credits on the sustainability side. And so I just think it's it's really interesting from like a mindset perspective and how we see that kind of more globally, right, will have a huge, almost immediate impact.
1: Very much so. And it will also show you best practice, because we don't have best practice yet because it's new, right? So, we've, we've we've got lots of practice, but we don't necessarily have a best practice yet. So, like, until we get a crap ton of brands doing it and actually, like, sh- learning, you know, from what works and what doesn't, we're not really going to know. But what we do- what one thing that we definitely know is yeah. it has to be owned. Like, it has to be something that is owned by the organization. And that obviously has to come from a leader. Leadership is an important role in any organization. The leader has to own this. And, you know, action number one- You know, spend a day or five or however many you need based on your organization's complexity, get your leadership team in and just step one, define sustainability for your business. What does it actually mean? What is the breakdown of those things? How do we then look at those and set ourselves some clear objectives within each of them? And then assign ownership, who's doing what, do a you know do all the responsible, accountable uh, participatory or advisory kind of analysis, whatever it might be. But don't leave the room. Lock the door. I'll allow you a trash can, but I won't let you leave the room unless you guys have all kind of got clarity around what it is. What does it mean for our business? What are we going to do about it? And who's responsible? Who's accountable for delivering on those things? And you, like, if you do that, And then you align that with the way that people are remunerated and rewarded and incentivized and recognized, then you know, we're good at that bit. Once we've got that first step done, retailers will nail it, throw it into the process machine, sausages get made.
0: Early 2020, talking to a lot of large publicly traded companies, they were saying there was this like big aha for the first time, they were having a lot of inbounds from investors around kind of what were they doing from a sustainability perspective. And so I think that started to kind of, and obviously then we went into, you know, some other topics. So so maybe sustainability took a bit of a backseat for a while. So that's kind of like one, you know, you know, that was like my big aha, right? We, we need like Wall Street. So you've got, right, I look at it as you got Wall Street, you've got your customers and you've got your employees who are all kind of, you know, pushing you from different directions. I, I do feel from someone who who studies and, and is passionate about this, just like you are, Andrew, is, you know, when a company comes out and tells me, right, and we're in, let's call it, you know, 1Q22, that by 2030, they're going to do something. And I'm like, you know, I'd be surprised literally if anyone in the C-suite is still there. And so going back to like, who owns this, I want to know what you're going to do in 12, 18, 24 months. And how are you going to be compensated on achieving those goals? Right? Like talking about like, right? (laughs) Remember, like, you know, it was always like, you'd you'd always advise companies don't give a date and a number because then they can hold you accountable. But I think that that's exactly right. (laughs) Like what we want to do. And I I feel like, you know, once again, there companies have had a lot of other distractions over the past two years, but it does seem that this, this topic is at least starting to kind of, you know, edge its way back in. Although maybe, maybe the metaverse is which we should probably switch to that topic. I mean, maybe that is, I mean, how (laughs) how do you look at them? Well, let's try and bridge, bridge the two. Do you, how do you look at the metaverse from a sustainability perspective?
1: <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go oh, I'm gonna go on a rant in a minute. Warning, rant warning. Um, but before I do, I'm gonna kind of address one thing. It's like if I sit down with any retailer and they sit there and go, "How do I like? I want to set these twenty thirty goals, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, I'm like, "All right, well, what's your twenty thirty sales goal? And they're like, "Oh, I got no idea. It's like, "Oh, why not? Why don't you set a twenty thirty sales goal? They're like well, because it's too far out. I don't know what's going to change. I don't even know what I'm going to be selling in 2030. It's like, oh, well, then maybe you should apply that to sustainability too. Like, what is your in-year goal? What, are you, what do you want to achieve? What are you, where are you going to be kicking the ball along the field to in, or, in order to achieve what you need to achieve? And you're right. There's institutional investors now who are, you know, getting up in the middle of an AGM and demanding answers from a board about their ESG. And if you are not making progress in year, you're going to be in the receiving end of some really incredibly uncomfortable conversations at your next annual general meeting. So, like this week, I saw this really cool campaign from I think it was Salesforce. They had like Matthew McConaughey in it, and they were basically talking about oh, the metaverse. It's really cool. It's really exciting, isn't it? Incredible. Also, there's a real world out here, and it's kind of falling apart. So let's make sure we're actually doing both. Like we're we're caring about both. And I think um you know there was humans have this ingrained ability to. To just care about big, bright, shiny things—we love them. It's an ingrained biological instinct. Bright, shiny things means that I can make money and all food and feed my family and my community, and that therefore it's like this biological instinct that we want to but go wait, and follow. Wait, wait, bright, me, shiny things. Let me just
0: things. jump in. Don't you think there's also a piece of it that's like an adrenaline rush, right? So I think that there's the there's the, oh, the intellectual no component. There's like the adrenaline rush, and then there's the. I can probably feed my family and, you know, get them a few extra pairs of shoes type of thing.
1: <laughs> yes, you're right. That's a good challenge. Yes, there is definitely part of like the- um, the. F- the the adrenaline rush of being involved in something new at the like at the start, like colfa, is just incredibly exciting, which does feed adrenaline junkies and it does do all of that stuff. It also generates FOMO. You don't want to miss out on it. Especially if people are saying, guys, this is the next e-commerce, don't miss out, blah, blah, blah. There's like lots of those statements happening. Like, we don't know enough yet, is the short answer. We know there's some really cool stuff out there. For brands, for marketing opportunities in particular, like you know, today McDonald's and Panera, their trademarks, where you can be in a metaverse app and order home delivery. So you could be walking around your, I don't know, Fortnite space and walk into a Macca's and place the order. You know, there's stuff like that, which that is no different to marketing. That's an ad. It's an online ad, right? So it's it's just in a really new, exciting context. So the marketing opportunity, I think, is really, really interesting. I think from a, um, you know, from a luxury goods in a luxury sector space, I think there's obviously genuine potential, particularly when you combine it with NFTs and stuff like that, where you can add proprietary t- tags to digital assets and throw them into the metaverse. And then that becomes its own market. You know, I think that kind of thing all is they're genuine opportunities. They're still not explored enough yet for people to throw billions of dollars at it, but they're definitely there and people should run an experiment at it. You know, probably the the but really at this point it's the creatives that exist in these spaces that should be running experiments and running at it. If I'm a retailer I should be watching this space for sure. Potentially get my CMO to have a look at it. For sure. But at this point don't um, don't don't start planning your future as a storeless, e-commerce-less metaverse space because it's probably a risky strategy to be running at.
0: <laughs> so I I'm, I'm going to jump in there. I actually think that the metaverse reinforces physical
1: stores tell me more
0: i think that right yeah so i think that online right it was a 2d experience which is why it never reached the numbers that many analysts were predicting because to have a 2d experience we're right the minute that we could all go back to stores right stores were like flooded with people much more than they expected right mall traffic was up you know in, in the 20s in many locations and so if you think about right from a in perspective. So if I am in let's say store A and I, you know, am, you know, buying a, a an NFT and I am then there is a, you know, let's say one of those tokens allows me to get something in the physical world and maybe I have to go into the store. But also this idea that you want to start to bridge right the the personality of the physical store with, you know, kind of the virtual one and you know this idea around kind of creating experiences so if i buy this bag right i then get this experience and right you can even start to if you think about it from an nft perspective you can have you know you can separate and have two so you can have the you can maybe keep the experience one and then you kind of push along to you know the 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 next owner right the the bag itself and and that's i think where it starts to become really interesting because you then start to have i think a very different relationship with the brand, both physically and, you know, virtually. And it becomes a bigger part of kind of your life because you've got the experience, you've got the product, right? And, you know, maybe you continue to get regular updates and regular communication and you're starting to build community. I mean, we've heard this, the, the community word so many times. And I think that there's this whole idea, right, that social media was community. Maybe it's not the always the most constructive community, but this idea that if if everyone there is passionate about the same brand, right? And you can talk about that brand and you can get more, you know, kind of more intelligence, right? Wanting to know about the sustainability agenda, right? I mean, that's really important. And maybe consumers, you know, when they find out more about that, they then want to engage in, in a different way. And so I just, I everything I've heard and seen <clears throat> is this whole idea that, you know, kind of the metaverse reinforces the physical world and that, you know, how we've been shopping, maybe more during the pandemic in this 2D world, that starts to change
1: more than anything. And I think, I mean, I think that's really interesting. I like, I think your your crystal ball, generally speaking, is more accurate than mine. So, let's go. So, I'll I'll learn from you in that instance. But I do want to, like, I want to nudge us, though, to sit, like, just to remind us that within the context of all of this is is humanity and our biological instincts and the fact that we're a pack animal and there are a whole bunch of experiences that we just don't want to replace. And I think, so I think, yes, but I also think there's actually a really cool way to go, you know, reverse create experiences where you're pushing people to the metaverse. You could be in store buying a bag and that automatically allows you to then have the digital version of that bag as kind of just a nice little thing. No matter what the use case is, though, even in a world where it is reinforcing stores, et cetera, et cetera, is much more on a brand immersive marketing angle than it is a new channel
0: so i'm gonna jump in so we've been kind of like you know i would say at least penciling and erasing and 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 drawing out this idea of like retail at the edge so if you think about it this year you've got three new channels or three growing channels or three more established channels to sell through right if you're a retailer so you've got the metaverse you've got live streaming and you've got instant needs instant commerce quick commerce whatever you want to call it but you know the kind of like go space so right if i you know if I'm going somewhere in 30 minutes and I'm like, oh my gosh, uh, my heel broke. I, you know, need you know this, that, or the other. Right? It can get here, and I can still arrive on time, looking, you know, kind of as I want to present myself. Secondly, if you think about live streaming, right? What I think is fascinating is that that was like such you know you talk to retailers, oh, is this really something? Is it not? Now that you have the metaverse, live streaming seems like old tech, right? I mean, and that's what I think is is really <laughs> fascinating. And and if we you know kind of want to talk about, right, those two for channels, right, whether it's instant needs or whether it's live streaming, they're both more sustainable than how we've purchased in the past. Mm-hmm. Because I will tell you, as somebody who has like, you know, lives in Manhattan, and I'm like, you know, you're like carrying these like huge bags back to your apartment. I'm like, you know what, I'll order like an hour or so before what I'm going to kind of eat for dinner that night or cook or, you know, kind of whatever I get for my family. And so I'm only buying what I need right? I'm not buying beyond that. I'm not like, oh, I'll buy for the week. And then I end up like eating out every night or something like that. So I, I, I have to, I'm, I will tell you personally, I am throwing, well, I'm like, I'm, we're basically consuming everything we buy. And that is, that feels really good. Yeah. Then on the live streaming side, right? When you buy something through a live stream, returns are down 50% because you get to ask the host, hey, Andrew, as the host, like, you know, this is what I look like. Do you think this is going to look good on me? or Or what's your opinion of that? Right? And and the more honest the host is, right, the more you as like the potential consumer are like, oh, I'm coming back next week because, you know, he's like, he told me not to buy it. Whoever tells you not to buy something, right? I like, I trust that, Andrew guy. So I do think that we are finding some really interesting changes in terms of how consumers acquire goods. And you know, that may have a bigger impact on sustainability than than what we're we're thinking about right now.
1: I think that's really smart. And I like the the, the um, reflection that I have actually listening back on that is live streaming was super exciting, bright shiny thing a year and a half-ish ago, and it's matured and we now understand it and its use case is more proven. Um, this instant delivery, all for it. You know, we had some I've had some fabulous discussions with people in those businesses. These are just AI machines that can just predict and and run operations so incredibly efficiently that you're right, it's now cost effective for me to just buy what I need as opposed to fill up a cupboard of which every year I have to clean out because there's some weird smell. Um, and then <laughs> I think, you know, metaverse is, at, you're right, it's on the edge. And there are some really interesting things. The use cases that actually get me most excited is store tr- like training for a new staff member who can be immersed in a store environment without having to be immersed in a real store environment for people who are building or designing things. Like there's a thousand different ways that it can be used. We just don't know yet. And we should all- Find what experiments are right for us to run at. Metaverse is an enabler, just like artificial intelligence is an enabler, just like a computer is an enabler. You shouldn't start with, I need a computer. Well, why? Oh, I don't know. I just think I should. It's like, and that's how I feel like retailers at the moment are staring at the metaverse. I'm like, stop it. Find your drivers. What are your customer drivers? What are your business drivers? And how do you need to solve them? What is the best way to solve them? Is metaverse the answer? Yeah. Awesome. Run. Run hard. Have fun. Call Deborah. She knows heaps about it. Like, it's really like we've just got it the wrong way around sometimes in the way we ask questions. I know it's our job as like sector analysts and, and, um, and, you know, thinkers is to kind of sit there and go, oh, these are all the different ways that this stuff can be used. Like, ask the right questions as a retailer. Your job is not to do our job. You should become a sector analyst if you want to brainstorm about different ways metaverse could be awesome. Um, as a retailer, though, start with your business drivers first and then we can work out whether the metaverse is for you or not. That was a big rant. I'm sorry. I told you it was going to be.
0: No, I no. It's really it was really quite interesting. And I think that, you know, we're right now and and I'd love to hear the questions you're getting. I mean, first of all, it's like, you know, is this real? Should we do it? How do we do it? But but, you know, do we buy land? Right. Do we have a pop up shop? Do we have a a store? And, you know, kind of like, where should we go with this? And then also, too, right. There's a whole like, is there like a huge like retail media play or digital shelf play? Right. If we're like a multi brand retailer right? And someone wants to have something on my shelf, are they going to pay me for that? And if they are, like, let me like spin up a bunch of those stores, right? Like into Central and Sandbox or like, whatever. <laughs> and so, I think that that's where it starts to get kind of like really, really interesting is the um kind of focus around the, you know, kind of the opportunities from a retail media perspective.
1: Yeah, I agree. And like, I think the, like those um bigger kind of skunkworks questions, I think are really smart. Like that idea of, you know what? What is everyone doing? The big questions that I'm often getting are it almost directly proportionate to a, a new patent being filed by someone. So as soon as a Walmart files a patent, patent, or as soon as McDonald's filed their patent, that's when clients start asking the questions like, what should we be doing? What like should we be following this? What are they going to do? Do I need to be worried about it? Um, you know, and. My response is the same as it always is. The advantage of doing what I do, which is like, how do you just change in any way? It doesn't matter what the enabler is, whether it be technology or people or process or whatever. Um, it's how do you do it fast? How can you be really quickly responsive? How do you set up immersive testing and, hy- you know, hypotheses test and testing sessions? How do you just in- focus your ability on the ability to change, your ingrained ability to change at pace? So, if if something does pop up, like an opportunity to- that. In the metaverse to buy land to set up to sell to do uh instant ordering to do dark stores to do whatever you have the ability to do it quickly and efficiently and get results um that is much more important than any single thing
0: well i think that you know it's it's great to test and and fail forward i'm i'm a, a big fan of that but you know, the more efficient that we're kind of spending dollars and the more that we can can learn from each other, I think, right now. And that that mm-hmm. applies to kind of both of the topics that we are discussing. And I have to say, I've, I've spent a lot of time recently as I've, you know, kind of gone into the metaverse space, hook, line, and sinker, is do, are we starting to see consumers value the the virtual representation of the physical object or just the the virtual, right, there may not even be a, a, a physical that it's either connected to or based on. Are, are we starting to see a change in spending? And, and how big is that impact going to be? I
1: mean, that's, that's the trillion dollar question, right? Like, the, there are innate values that humans, we place on things. And those things can be digital, they can be physical. So, you know, if you're And that's going to change based on your context, based on what is happening around you, what is, you know, what is your social circle caring about, what is your family circle caring about, what is your financial situation. There's all of these contexts that have to overlap and come together and form what I put value in. If I can put, if I, you know, if I can solve the financial safety value and I have a bit more of a luxury to focus a bit more on social and community value, I'm gonna. I want my avatar to look good. Yeah.
0: Well, that's when I enter the metaverse, right? That's your status, right? Like right? I, I mean, the, that's that's like you know. I mean, it's, yeah. and I, I wish there, there's there's got to be a better word. Status doesn't. I, I feel like carries like negative connotations, but right. That's representing. And, you know, I mean, I don't know,
1: we, we- It's a digital manifestation of your exactly. look, of or, your brand, your personal well, brand, well, I mean, right? And
0: if you're, you know, as people, right, we, we may look completely different, right? I could be, like, purple and, and six foot two and, you know, kind of be, I don't know, wearing, like, bangles, right? I mean, you know, it's like you can, you can, like, be, like, right, who you, who, and maybe in some ways, who you think you are, right? And I think that that's mm. really what, like, as you start to spend a lot of time, right, it, it is really interesting and, and as you clothe yourself and hey right maybe right I wake up on Monday and it's like raining out and I'm feeling blue and so I I want to I, I want to be like you know say I, I want to be avatar a and then on Tuesday it's really sunny and I'm right and so right it was, we start to think about that like I have really spent a lot of time because I'm like are are we going to see and I'm I'm it will have it will have to have an impact this year that's why I'm like it's gotta have had an impact no I mean, yeah, you know you look right. at every single NFT that's been done and sold out right? So those are, and where are those dollars coming from? So, I mean, it's not all investors, right? A lot of these are consumers. I mean, no. and, and, and I think you know, if you look at like what Gap did, right, you know, there was definitely, I think it was around 10% of the NFTs were bought in the secondary marketplace, but the remainder of that was, you know, kind of bought in, you know, kind of from, from Gap properly. And so that's where you start to think about, right, these are consumers of Gap who care about the brand, who want to kind of have, have a, Uh, a virtual piece of it and then you know there was a physical representation which is where i think you know people who were in the secondary marketplace were making sure they had everything that they needed to get the 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 sweatshirt and so this is like where it's so interesting i'm like i i just have so much passion around kind of understanding it looking at it from a you know ultimately it's numbers top line Mm. and bottom line and and our retailers just fundamentally different companies now right should they get i mean i personally think they need higher valuations and you you start to see some of this like activist activity around like a kohl's i'm like i don't think they're bidding enough right because if you think about what what these retailers can be and what they already kind of are on the path you know to whether it's new channels new things that they can sell i just i just don't know if we're valuing them highly enough
1: completely agree for so many different reasons the like the main one is historical um, like prejudice to the retail yes, sector like yes. it's, it is cyclical it is risky it is you know in, in like not everywhere but kind of generally speaking the margins are tight it is high cost there's all of these kind of reasons why an investor goes mm, but so is an airline industry so is you know, there's just, a, there's many examples of different places where we've placed equivalent value on opportunity as we do on actual performance. But retailers, for whatever reason, we kind of get stuck in actual performance numbers, but and we don't add in the context of, you know, the, the future opportunity. Like, you look at the targets, you look at the, the Walmarts, et cetera, who are, you know, in the last two years, have seen tremendous growth, have planted the seeds for constant continuous growth, The Coles one is another fabulously interesting example. As an investor, you know, you've got people, depending on the buyer that comes in, the opportunity with both the brand, the footprint, everything else that goes with it is incredible. The valuations definitely do not reflect that because generally speaking, people don't place, uh, you know, they assume retailers will be, you know, at the very, very best low performing blue chip. It's like, oh, they'll continuously grow, I suppose, probably won't get a dividend. That's it. As opposed to these incredible growth engines that they can actually be, especially when you add in the layer of what is possible with, you know, you know, a metaverse or a digital space or a growth of e-com through other digital experiences, through live streaming, through different ways that brands are becoming immersive and the different way that people are rocking up into retail footprints, by the way. So, you've got, you know, you might have a Macy's there, but next door to that, you're probably going to have an indoor mini golf course for adults you're going to then have this like and this growth of this kind of what we used to try to design with malls which we then gave up on and just made cookie cutter pieces of rubbish you know we tried to create these incredible like experiences almost theme parks um you know there's those experiences are coming back with some success some not but there, there um, are it's going to be just so interesting there are to malls
0: see. Is it's called american dream right i mean that's and if you think about right <laughs> they i mean you know it's like that that Project, which I think now has seen you know, tremendous success. But you know, right, they go to open basically the day that the like world closes down. And like, you know, and you've just seen, but like, I, I do think that there's also this, this really interesting aspect around retail that I, I have to say I've been thinking about more recently, right? Where the reason, because I've been thinking about this valuation aspect and 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 you know, kind of how to how to really properly value, not just looking at the multiples we've assigned in the past, but What's the proper multiple and and is it one on earnings or anyways? But the idea is, right, they have to be tech companies. They have to be sustainability experts. They have to be marketing companies, logistics experts, supply chain experts, you know, kind of sourcing experts. And when you think about the complexity of that, right, something is always at least one of those is going to kind of fall by the wayside for for whatever reason. Maybe you have, you know, an open headcount. And, and, and with that, what I thought about is we kind of take that thinking kind of to the next level. If you look at all of these amazing startups, many who either continue to grow during the pandemic or you know were were born in the pandemic, I do feel that many of those will help the retailer do a large portion of logistics or supply chain or sourcing or marketing or me- retail media, and so that they it, yes, it, there's still a human component, but there's also you know, Andrew, I think what you said about AI is is so critical, right? We used to think about it like, is oh my gosh, it's like AI and it's this and it's that. AI is just running through all these startups that are now helping and, and the retailers as well. Many of them have, a, I don't know if AI strategy is, you know, kind of, that's what we hear many times when we're talking to them, but it's really just, how are you going to, you know, do your business? And and many of the solutions now have a AI foundation.
1: Retail has always been an incredibly complex business to run. From, you know, Istanbul Bazaars to now, they they are complicated from this production to the sourcing to the blah, to whatever it is. No, but it, it, we've had different ways to respond in different context changes, whether it be technology or whether it be consumer behavioural shifts, whether it be legislative shifts, like there's all, that's, it's always changing. And I think, um, my, um, kind of frustration was for like probably the last decade up until COVID hit, um, suppliers and startups, you know, pointing towards retail were actually quite slim. Everyone ran at technology and technology companies, um, the use, you know, retailers weren't kind of out there demanding services. We, we kind of just went with safety. We went with big tier one things that could just give us something that would make us feel safe and get the job done. Whereas now the energy has felt like it's really shifted. Like if you're, if you picture, my first NRF was 10 years ago, picture going through the expo floor 10 years ago versus going through the, through the expo floor this year. Now, admittedly, there was less people, but if you look at the brands and everything that was on there, where was the energy? It was at the startup zone. It was in the innovation the hub. Really, the it really was really these...
0: early, right? Those were kind of the, the earlier yeah. companies where you know there there was yeah. It goes back to there was this this energy, and and I think that you saw really kind of this this knowledge quest, right? Because from a retailer perspective, like I walked the floor with a few chief innovation officers, and it's kind of like where should we focus now, right? Like, what are we going to do in 22 that's going to make a difference? Whereas I, I do feel in the past, you know, especially, you know, depending on where you're walking, it's like, okay, you know, we just want to kind of like make sure we're, we're kind of taking everything into account and like, you know, we don't get surprised. But now it's like, let's be practical. And I know, right, the great thing at NRF, almost all those solutions are available like today as opposed, right? CES is like, you know, we're going to think about three to five years in the future, but like I can buy all this today, and I think with the the implementation speed as well, I just, I I, I think you bring up a, a really excellent point.
1: I think, I just can't wait to see what it all ends up being. And I feel like the best analogy I'll, I'll give you is the, like the 10 years ago, there was robotics and automation on the floor of NRF, but we were all kind of like, what in the world? Like, all we we're just watching really cool robots go around and do stuff. We had no idea what they were going to do. We had no clue on what the use cases were, but crap, weren't we excited? We were like, holy moly, there's robots. Um, That is where the metaverse is right now. I have no doubt that in probably a lot faster than 10 years, it'll be a year at best, we'll get there and there'll be 20 brands that sit there and go, this is how you execute on great use cases built on evidence using the metaverse. And I just, I have no doubt that will happen. And I love that the energy of an investment from startup people who are looking at the opportunity that retail shows is now going to start pushing that. Because not only is this injection of, you know, youthfulness in terms of companies and thinking- um, going to give retailers more choice. It's gonna make all of the big incumbents have to rethink and be more adventurous and experimentative, or potentially MA, <laughs> um, which will help retailers in the long run too. It will help us kind of really refine these enablers more than we have in the past.
0: I agree. So let's let's give our listeners kind of, you know, what, what we're gonna talk about next. And I'll just lay down the foundation. So so one thing that I've been thinking quite a bit about, right, is, is physical retail, especially as I I walked, I, I had a breakfast in my neighborhood today and I was walking back and kind of like you said, Andrew, right, there's a lot more experience, right? There's like acupuncture and there's, right, you know, a juice place and right, you know, this is replacing, you know, some more traditional retail and you have traditional retail as well. What I think is really fascinating when you start to look at, you know, real estate, retail real estate, and you think about mall and off mall and strip and, you know, kind of everything in between that the cap rates compared to industrial make retail real estate a bargain. And what happens at retail? I think, you know, you mentioned Target and Walmart. I think they've shown us some great examples, right? Not only does, you know, merchandise, well, all technically goes out the front of the store, but (laughs) sometimes the consumer's carrying it. And in other cases, right, a a Walmart or a Target employee is carrying it into, you know, a car. And, And why I bring this up is that you know, and and some of it goes out the back door, but this idea that stores now are fulfillment centers, they're experiential centers, they're places where consumers come together in a community and they transact, but you are utilizing your stores as, as warehouses. And if I think about it, right, they are a great, it's a great value. And that's also why I think we've seen some of this, you know, renaissance. I mean, last year, which was amazing, right? Compared to like the, the store openings and closures we've seen, right? It was basically kind of neutral, right? We didn't see a big store closing program. And I think there's there's other things we can talk about that, that drove that as well. But I do think there's, you know, this idea around kind of the, the future of retail real estate and, you know, in a supply chain challenged world, what that looks like and also what that looks like beyond. What, what else do you want to kind of talk about next time, Andrew? Oof.
1: Um, I mean, I think that's, I mean, you've just got my, (laughs) my retail nerd up. I'm just like so excited by that topic because like, there are so many like interesting things. The barriers of digital comfort have been broken and smashed for the last couple of years. So, people are just more digitally comfortable. But my favorite byproduct that we're seeing is that it's kind of removed brand boundaries. Like I'm okay with two brands being in a space together. I'm also- okay with um, my experience within a brand being something really unique and different. So, like you know, again, my, one of my favorite—I can't wait for it to open because I've been to the London one. There's a uh, um, a brand called Swingers. It's not what you think it <laughs> is, um, and it's uh, opening up in New York City. It's a, essentially like an ad- this adult mini golf. I mentioned it earlier. It's like this adult mini golf adventure where you can go on, you know, and brands can join in. There's retail space within the area. Like it's it's this really interesting, unique take on how do I use retail footprint. So I think that is going to be fascinating. But for me, um, I. Uh, I really like the concept of what, you know, if we look at, at, at um, it's, it's a real estate theme, so clearly maybe that's all on everyone's mind, but we've gone through these phases of like, we all have a shop and we have a high street and it's near us and it's proximity driven to then, hey, we'd be more efficient if we went to a mall. It was really cool for a few a few years, but now they're really bland and boring, depending on which state you live in anyway. Um, there's plenty of them popping up here in Florida. Um then there, what is the next bit? And it's like because all of those phys- those real estate kind of strategies and areas and the way humans are behaving in physical retail or retail generally has been driven by the fact that e hasn't really, you know, the, the quote unquote omni hasn't really existed. It's kind of been stuck together with sticky tape and string. We've kind of nailed that really as an industry in the most part. Plenty of brands haven't, but still, I want to know what's the next bit there. I want to know how we do start- you you mentioned fulfillment centers and all that kind of stuff. I think there is something else there as well around how we solve for proximity in ways that are still physical. Um, And, you know, just a, a blended, a really interesting blend of brands smashing together that feels not like a a department store but in some other way i don't know what it is yet i just think there is something there that is very very cool american dream might be the answer who knows i went walked the the halls last time i was in jersey and it was i was one of the only ones there let's put it that way but um it was still an interesting interesting well, concept
0: interesting and I'll, I'll i'll conclude with this is you know one of the large live streaming platforms is Bambuzzer, buzzer and they're from sweden and they did a test with three different malls where they they found that right they were live streaming from the mall which i actually think is a great I I love that, right? Because that brings the store to life, right? That brings people in, right? Entertainment, right? Check every single box. Sustainable. And what they did, right, to actually drive sustainability, if you think about kind of, you know, from a, a Sweden perspective, is that if you, the consumer, came to pick up the item, they would give you a free cup of coffee, right? And they worked with a company who was thrilled to have their like brand like plastered on everything. And they found that 50% of people came to pick up their item because of the free cup of coffee. And so when you think about the time, right, the time involved to get in your car or on your bike or whatever you're doing to go to pick it up and then come back, definitely your time is probably worth more than that cup of coffee. But it is interesting to think, I have to tell you, that's one of those things that I heard last year that was, I, I've kind of like really sat on, if you will, because I'm like, there's there's something more there about, right, did, right, because you're experiencing a digital experience from a physical one. And then because you're incented with a physical item, which I'm, I'm, I'm like a coffee-a-holic, um, that you then go to the physical, but theoretically maybe you were looking at the live streaming to create community i don't know but i i really want to so I feel, I feel like there's no way we're going to get through all this next time so maybe it'll, it'll be the time after that but <laughs> andrew thank you so much i really enjoyed having this like in-depth conversation on kind of metaverse sustainability and like our, our look into next time thanks so much for joining us for this episode of retailistic talk to you soon